0: Welcome to the Inverse Podcast. Today, Jared's chatting with Broxy Cavey, a Canadian pastor and author. He's the teaching pastor at The Meeting House, one of Canada's largest churches, and he's also the author of the books The End of Religion and Reunion. If you want to check out more about Broxy, you can go to his website, broxy.com. Hope you enjoy. Well, Broxy, thanks for being willing to hang out and uh, do this with me. Uh, I love you dearly. You are a very good friend to me um, and uh, a mentor for afar in doing what you do. Mm -hmm. So the fact that I get to share you with others is great for me. Um, The question I generally start with is, how did you initially experience scripture? Are there particular instances that you remember that um, uh, were your first encounters? What, What was that for you?
1: Hmm. Yeah, thanks, Jared. My initial encounter with Scripture was positive. It was church, and church was good as a kid. It was a fun place. Hmm. It was energetic. We went to Pentecostal Church. And nah. it was, it was, it, there was a lot of positive excitement, and kids were treasured. We had sword drills. That was We held, held up our Bible. The first one, they'd call out a Bible verse. You have to be the fastest to find it. And, it's and called a sword, a sword drill. drill. Wow! First, so everyone had to bring their Bible, and first we had to hold it up in the air, so it was all fair. And then they would call out a Bible verse, and then the first, then we'd all go. And the first person to find it got to stand up and read it. And so it was That's just nice. ways of finding your way around the Bible. But there were games and everything, and memorization. And and I I know what verses of the Bible I memorized at what stages of my life because. It was a transitional time from when the King James was popular to when the NIV was starting to take over the <laughs> popular North American churches. And so there's a, a bunch of my, a Bible verses that I have memorized in the King James version and then some I have memorized in the NIV as we transition <laughs> growing up. So I did, can tell I memorized that when I was 12 years old. Did okay. any
0: King James come to mind? I've got one that I know in terms no. of King James. Uh, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I ah. never knew you. Ah, yes, that's very <laughs> Isn't that good, yeah. dramatic? Yeah, like it the, is. The Jesus saying not everybody saying calling on my name is is down with my program? Yeah, that's very dramatic. Yes,
1: I I I spent um, my early years in a Christian school as well, so it wasn't ah. just memorizing and meditating and um, and celebrating scripture at church. It was also uh, Monday to Friday at, at a Christian school where right. we had daily chapels and we had, we connected all our topics to scripture. So wow. I was really immersed as a kid. Hmm. My relationship and that was here in Canada. That was here in Canada. Yeah. Yeah am my uh and'm I'm, I'm grateful for all of it um, I'm my relationship with scripture became increasingly negative as I understood more about what I was reading <laughs> that doesn't sound good but I um, there's certain stories especially with the Old Testament but there are certain stories and certain things that I felt as a kid I hadn't been given the whole picture in and I have a, a reflective mind I'm always questioning and wondering what's behind what you're telling me and uh, sometimes that is helpful sometimes that's detrimental to just simple trust and relationships and connecting with people. It's like, what's really going on here? Mm-hmm. Uh, but I had that, that approach to the Bible. And, um, and so when there were just parts, you know, like the uh, battle of Jericho was just a really fun story about the walls falling down and God bringing the victory, whatever that meant. It didn't include then the army going in and slaughtering everyone in the city of Jericho. Cause, that wasn't a great way to end a kid's bedtime story. Right?
0: <laughs> Good night, so those... honey. Now, now that
1: now that everyone's slaughtered, have it, have sweet dreams. So, I, so that kind of almost children's church approach to scripture was something mm. that um, that served me well at first, but then left me feeling like, hold on, I haven't been given the whole story here. So my skeptical side really kicked in in relationship to scripture.
0: And those critical thinking skills were they encouraged with the fun play of mm. um, these? Mm. Uh, what was it called sword sword drills sword drills yeah, yeah you was... really
1: missed out if you haven't had sword drills the um
0: which is funny for me cuz like yeah. we those of us who know you know you as uh, bruxy who's the teaching pastor at the meeting house which is part of the anabaptist tradition and mm. um you you really inhabit that peace church tradition well so the idea mm. of bruxy and swords is <laughs> yeah yeah, it's fun.
1: Um, yeah, well, it's interesting. I mean, it's certainly, I'm a late blooming Anabaptist. I was you know, ingrafted into the vine, and, um, and yet I'm, I'm really grateful because I realized this is anyone can join at any time, and, um, and the story of Anabaptism becomes your story, mm. which is really interesting. I know we're bouncing around a bit, but it, it just reminds me that that's, that's a cool thing about um, when there is a connecting of two relationships. Your story is not only your story, but your story the the other person 's story becomes your story yeah. um, and and so I, I found like as I, I was like a little rivulet coming into a river of Anabaptism, mm-hmm. but once I get into it i 'm not separate. you get all the water gets all mixed up yeah and now, if you tried to work backward in history, you probably wouldn 't even find the rivulet I came from you 'd kind of go back through the the, you'd, you'd follow the the, the larger river up, <laughs> upstream. And so the Anabaptist story, I feel like, is my story, yeah. even though I wasn't born into it. And, um, and I guess that's kind of like the gospel, right? When you come to Jesus, his story is your story. Yeah, yeah.
0: And your story of, like, um, for both of us, Anabaptism is really important in terms mm-hmm. of uh, <laughs> a Christianity that we feel looks like the Christ we encounter mm-hmm. in the gospels. And for me, uh, it was um, my... A history teacher in early high school as i'd just come to jesus and we're studying reformation history and they're talking about all these different christian groups having different princes and powers backing mm. them and they're killing each other mm. and the only people who weren't uh, killing each other or others were all being killed by everyone and it's kind of yes. what everybody shared in in common and it was these people who insisted that baptism was actually an adult's decision about becoming part of a community that Mm. lived like Jesus and living like Jesus looked like Sermon on the Mount. Mm. Um, So that was, I was like, oh, I can still, like, it wasn't a bad decision to get in the water. Yeah. (laughs) That's what I remember thinking. What was your journey to uh, anabaptism and and how Mm. how did that relate to your critical thinking Mm. um, and your engagement with scripture? Oh,
1: Good question. Um, I want to answer with, by beginning with a disclaimer, because I'm going to say some really positive things about Anabaptism and mm-hmm. how it has influenced me. And so I want to make sure I'm clear that I'm grateful for the diversity of the body of Christ mm. and all of the various movements within the body of Christ that we have so much to learn from. And, and um, this is how God has really encouraged me through Anabaptism, but I don't want this to turn into a commercial that is competitive or... Tries to exalt one over another. Beautiful. Having said that, then in my life, uh, God's really used this movement. Um, in that, I've always believed in celebrating where I've come from. So I was raised Pentecostal, and I am so grateful for that emphasis on kind of the move of the Spirit and and the freshness of what God wants to do. Um, but still, growing up Pentecostal, I had a little bit of an outside looking in experience. Like I didn't quite fit. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> some of my friends were just more experientially charismatic than I ever was, and 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 so, you know, they'd say, can you just sense the Holy Spirit? And I'd think, well, I, th- I think that the, the air conditioning kicked in and I appreciate that. <laughs> and, and we went on a missions trip and we got off the plane one time and one of my friends said, oh, I can sense the spiritual oppression here. And I said, I think that's called humidity. <laughs> and so I just never really had that. But I thought. This is the people of my tribe. I'm content to be here. I'll never have the experience other people are having. I guess that's okay. This side of heaven, I guess, is what it feels like to be part of uh, the body of Christ. You just mm. never quite fit. That's all right. And then I um, went to seminary, became a Calvinist. and um, and
0: Bruxy's hidden Calvinist it, years. Yes, story you know, that doesn't often get out. Yeah,
1: no, that's right. And I had a great Reformed theology, systematic theology professor who I really appreciate. And, um, but I knew nothing about Calvinism. I had a lot of questions, my reflective mind, and I wasn't getting them answered. I think I burned out a lot of Pentecostal youth pastors over the years with just (laughs) questions, questions, questions. And so really it was a race for my brain. Whoever could get to my brain first with answers would receive my loyalty is I think that's, wasn't consciously aware of that, but I think that's how I was wired, mm. and so I went to seminary and I got answers. And that's one of the beautiful things about the Calvinist system is it just has an answer for more things than most systems. It's, it's
0: intellectually rigorous. Uh, yes, uh, questions really drive.
1: Yes, yeah. yes, and so it was a good fit for my brain, and um, and so I just, I really just became my conversion to Calvinism was fairly swift and. Um, and I, and I was I was very um, I was fully bought in, and I became a Baptist minister after that. And and I appreciate the intensity of both theological thinking and relationship with Scripture while I found things on Scripture. Um, and I was just aware that there are there are movements within the body of Christ that some emphasize the Holy Spirit, some the the Father, the sovereignty of God and his glory becomes how you approach theology and, and experience. And others, it's just the Bible's at the center. Um,
0: Your voice sounded more authoritative. Even than as I series. said that, I was <laughs> ready to preach
1: my Baptist sermons all over. Um, while I was a Baptist minister, I've was i was, I've always been um, very committed to evangelism. Mm. I'm not an extrovert by nature, and it's not that I, I'm comfortable with it at all times, but I've just been committed to it as something that is, it's just um, my gift, really, to not keep this good news to myself. Yeah. It wasn't so much a have to as I get to. I just had to remind myself that it was a privilege to be able to talk about Jesus. Um, and, and during my uh, Baptist pastor years, I was, I was meeting once a week with some Jehovah's Witnesses who knocked on my door one afternoon, and I and, uh, never let them go. They, <laughs> they, um, they came in for a Bible study, and then they came back the next week, and we met for two years, every Wednesday afternoon for two hours, and
0: the clashing of sword drills
1: yes that's right yeah (laughs) and we would go through scripture together and it's interesting they would whenever I could tell that I was maybe winning a debate on a particular issue I knew they had this ace up their sleeve they could always play and they played it a few times so I'd be saying this is why I believe this and it's in scripture and they would say okay Bruxy but once again how can we trust that your church and your tradition has truth to it when you represent a church of people who are willing to kill each other For the sake of their earthly kingdom.
0: It's not a bad argument.
1: No. Yeah. And I would just stop and say. Dang you're right. Mm. Like depending on where we're born. And if our earthly kingdoms call us to war. We will kill brothers and sisters. We will kill fellow citizens of our Jesus kingdom. Mm. Because we're prioritizing our earthly kingdom. And that has just been the history. The unchallenged history. Of the Christian church. Catholic and Protestant. And. And you're right; it's just so wrong. But so I started to really investigate the peace teachings of Jesus at the behest of my Jehovah's Witness friends.
0: Wow, that's so cool! Yeah, well, everybody gives the JWs a hard time in Australia because usually mm. they knock on your door on a Saturday morning, and because of Friday night, you don't want to answer <laughs> the door a right, Saturday morning. right yes. Um, but to their credit, like they didn't go along with the Nazis, right? And um, they went to the gas chambers alongside. Mm. Um, uh, the Jewish people, the communists, uh, uh, gay people, and Jehovah's Witnesses. And yeah. they, so, um, uh, yes, it's not great they make you roll out of bed on a Saturday morning, but it is a tradition that managed to stand up against oh. some pretty ugly stuff.
1: Uh, yeah, there's a lot of beauty there. And here I can say that I disagree with them in some fundamental ways theologically, but their heart for following Jesus's teaching is exemplary. Mm. At least it has been throughout uh, different phases of their of their short history. And so I but here's the thing. I started studying the teaching of Jesus from this angle of just taking him seriously and his peace teaching. And and I became convinced. But then I thought, how can this be true? Because the only group on the planet that I know of that follows this, I would consider a cult. (laughs) So that doesn't bode well. So it can't be true. So I I was this uh, post Pentecostal, uh, neo-Calvinist. Um, pacifist pastor who was unable to fully commit because I thought there are no, surely someone in church history would have come to this if it was true. And, 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 and real Christians would follow this. I didn't know anything about Anabaptist history. I mean, that's how clued out I was. I, I must have fallen asleep during that session in, uh, in seminary church history class. I, I just didn't know. I knew there were Mennonites and Amish. And I, I, just, I just didn't pay attention to what, where they came from. Right. So all I knew was Jehovah's Witnesses. So I thought... Um, and,
0: and you were like, I don't look good in
1: Gingham. And head coverings aren't well, really much Oh, up. no, that's right. Yeah. No, it's true. <laughs> no, I can't be a farmer, so there's no place for me. So I, I started to just do more and more homework. And um, it's interesting, uh, I was growing increasingly uncomfortable with just some, this kind of the mainstream Christian position of just war, mm. but didn't know where to take my newfound convictions and, um, and it was at that time, actually, that there was an Anabaptist church. The church I'm at now, The Meeting House, had a different name back then. But we, they contacted me. They were looking for a pastor. They'd heard about me. I had, I had no idea who they were. Hmm. They contacted me, asked me if I consider just coming for an interview. And so I had to do some homework on the denomination and on the background of, of this church. And as I started to learn more about them, I had this, where have you been all my life experience? Wow. And it was a sense of you're you're the people of my tribe. You're the long-lost brothers and sisters that I've been separated from at birth. And even huh. though we're meeting late in life, we're we belong together.
0: Yeah.
1: And that was my emotional experience. And again, grateful for my Pentecostal background, grateful, grateful for my Baptist years, learned a lot there. But even I felt a little too Baptistic to be a good Pentecostal when I was younger. I felt too Pentecostal to be a good Baptist. <laughs> and I was having, you know, second thoughts about certain doctrines. And, and ethical positions and the teaching of Jesus but I always thought well this side of heaven you're never going to feel fully at home in any Christian movement mm. community Christian community and denominations will always be tainted by sin so this side of heaven just get used to that feeling Brexy. Mm. and so I I never really saw it as a problem I was happy to be where I was but um, and and this is where I, I, I apologize at the beginning because it sounds like too much of a commercial for one stream of the body of Christ but this is my experience I had a a beautiful coming home mm. and every all the pieces started to fit together in a way that they hadn't uh, before when I discovered the Anabaptist stream of church history. Mm. And and after these interviews with this church, I thought, I don't care if they hire me as their pastor. I want to start attending. I just yeah. want to be a part of this family. Wow. So it was really encouraging my faith to know that there was this stream of Christianity that was a few hundred years old and I didn't have to figure it all out myself and I didn't have to rewrite it. And I didn't have to become a neo something or a, a post anything to on my own to join some new movement yeah. which is wonderful but i i didn't have to do that I, there was already people who had done the hard work and i could learn from them
0: and that there's 500 years of uh, christians uh in the west who mm-hmm. thought that um rejecting violence is a part of following jesus and mm-hmm. that's yeah but it's not just in terms of rejecting violence and the nonviolence of jesus there are two other distinctives that the meeting house also emphasise. Mm. Mm. Um, can you mention them for
1: us? Sure. Uh, simplicity mm. and uh, a plainness about who you are, and that it it is a it is not finding our identity in in any form of, of uh, the complex, the chasing after things that end up making our lives complex, and that's that can be materialism, uh, but it can also just be a finding our identity in performance of any sort, mm. and uh, a simplicity of soul. And of freedom of being yourself, mm. that it may be reflected then, and that we're, we we don't shop as much and we don't parade as much visually. But that's not because these things are our legalistic banners. It's, it's it's wanting a simplicity of soul, just seeking the kingdom first, and then that we expect that to get worked out in our relationship with material goods and and um, plain speech, letting our yes be yes and our no be no. And our uh, there's a at least a goal. Of moving more towards a kind of community that is not trying to be impressive, mm. and is um, is a very kind of at ease way of being with one another. So simplicity is one, and community is another word that we that we emphasize, and just the the togetherness. My favorite Greek word is homothumadon. Homothumadon hmm. which gets translated together in many translations throughout the Book of Acts. Paul uses it a little bit in Romans. Homo Thumadon, sometimes in in our King James, with one accord. Uh, So the church was with one accord, or they were just together, uh, modern translations will say. But the word has a power that's deeper than that, and and just together doesn't capture it. Homo Thumadon, compound word. Homo meaning one, Mm -hmm. or singular. Thumadon comes from thumos, which is the Greek word for angry rage. It's not the regular word for anger, which is Hmm. orge. It's a rage that's off the charts. It means really to snort with rage, just like a. <laughs> and it's got this absolute. Um, it's used of Satan um, on more than one occasion, of wow. just his rage against the Messiah uh, in Revelation mm-hmm. when the baby's being born in Revelation twelve. There's this this this. Uh, oh, so it's a passionate rage against. So so you have this um, this word that's almost always negative, hmm. put with the word homo for oneness and homothymodon becomes this passionate rage for unity wow yeah and it, and it becomes a positive word when it's put together with homo wow. always negative then positive i will fight for togetherness you know yeah. i will i will rage against division so that we can be one and you've talked about a call in culture instead of a call out culture hmm. to say that it's not just i'm going to i'm going to put up with community i'll be, I'll be inclusive but i will I will lay my life down in the fight for us to get along if possible, as wow. much as it depends on you, live at peace with others, as Paul said, so that Hohumomedon has become kind of a, a a rallying cry for us at the meeting house mm. to say what can what can we do to to breathe unity in the body of christ and yeah. so we, we we talk about um simplicity and community and peace as kind of uh, foundational concepts for for our movement
0: yeah it's, it's beautiful this peacefully, simply, together mm-hmm, mm-hmm, that Yeah. yeah, do so incredibly well. Mm-hmm. So, you were talking about how you initially received Scripture. Um, this journey to um, now being found as uh, um, uh, our mate BZ talks about packing y- your bags. He, he mm-hmm. packed his bags from one form. Mm-hmm. But he took stuff with him. Like, he wasn't leaving mm-hmm. everything. So, it sounds mm-hmm. like you packed your bags and you took the best of yeah. Pentecostal experience this Baptist and Um, the hidden Calvinist years of of KV and then found a home that uh, uh, this rage for togetherness and integration in your own story amongst the people that are also trying to integrate Mm -hmm. and bring these things Mm. together. Talk to me of when you first encountered Scripture, was it something that was oppressive or liberating? And how did that change as you went on this journey Mm. um, into this 500-year-old tradition Mm. of um, Jesus calls us to peace?
1: Mm well the if, if if to the best of my knowledge growing up i was someone who was who was taught to follow the bible that the mm-hmm. bible is is the book that leads us in a sense that the bible is god's ultimate authority what my understanding of anabaptism has done for me is given me permission to see i think what the bible itself is saying and that is the bible as a book is saying don't follow me the bible is recording the message of Jesus saying follow me hmm. and it's a it's an interesting paradoxical distinction but i think it's a very important one that we are reading say more
0: because initially yeah. it might sound subtle brother, yes but yes it's actually a huge it's difference massive because then difference.
1: it changes how you read the rest of the book yeah so you find a book that is the story of the person at the center saying follow me hmm. and then the book gives all the background information that you need and what is promised before he comes and and what is the history and looking back on and then the effort to to apply his teaching after he comes and then the gospels in the center his actual story of of um, him intersecting with history and in that he puts himself at the center and he calls a group of people to follow him follow him follow him so we read this book about the person who we are to follow but that is distinct from saying i follow the book mm. And for some people, that nuance is lost on them. They'll say, well, you got to read the Bible. And he like, say, yeah, no, we do. In fact, we, we want to be a people who have our noses in the Bible more than, more than most. We, we want to dissect this book. We want to digest this book. We want its nutrients to come into our systems, but not just so that we can be people of the book, but so that we can be people of the person. Mm. It's, and, and that distinction is huge. If you're just a person of the book, you can use the book to justify almost anything. And much of the atrocities of church history were justified by passages of scripture because they were people of the book and you could justify out of the book yeah. doing these things.
0: It's pretty hard to justify them by the person though.
1: Right. Yeah. When you're <laughs> when you're not people of the book but people of the person of Jesus, you can't. You yeah. can't justify it. And so uh well I I appreciate those who say we need to follow the Bible, we need to um uh, submit to the bible and and be people of the book and i love their heart in that i don't think they know the danger of what they're saying yes and that what those words are not really christian words per se wow
0: and just to be clear bruxy for those who are listening to you for the first time you're a pastor yes like and you're saying the danger of the bible Mm. um, is that
1: people might follow it (laughs) yeah that would be horrible really and because whenever
0: they have it's turned terrible
1: yes yeah when they follow it when they follow it yeah Um, But if they see that the whole thing is pointing to Jesus, and then some people say, oh, I see. So you're just saying only read the bits about Jesus. Say, no, you read the whole thing differently now. As a follower of Jesus, I see the whole thing as providing nuance and context and information and background Mm. to help me follow Jesus better. But I do follow Jesus. I read the book to follow Jesus, Mm. I don't just follow the book.
0: You you talked earlier about um, uh, the blood of Jericho. Mm -hmm. What does it mean... As someone who follows the person, not the book, to mm. read back on a story like Jericho and read it through the person, how does that change? Like yes, that, yeah, how does, um,
1: yeah. yeah the, To some extent, what I think sometimes Christians are afraid to say out loud is that there is an there is an aspect. The old covenant is many things, but one thing it is is the story of what doesn't work. well when you're looking at a beautiful diamond it'll be be presented against a black velvet background to help you see the contrast and Mm -hmm. there is much about the old covenant I'm saying it's more than this but there is certainly an aspect of this that often is not talked about that is the story of God's um, accommodation of our humanity meeting us where we're at for what we're able to digest in relationship with him at that time but it's not his ideal and in many ways the Old Covenant is the story of what doesn't work. So so you have, why in the Old Covenant is there a temple? There's a temple because David insisted there be a temple, not because God insisted. In fact, God said, no, David, I don't want you to build a temple. Uh, I, I've already designed a tent I'm happy with a tent, not a temple, more of an outdoorsy deity. I like tenting. <laughs> and and, and it, it's mobile and it's simple. And David's like, no, other kings have huge houses. I live in a huge house and you're the king of the universe. You should have a huge house. And then God finally loses, intentionally gives up and loses the argument with David. I mean, and yet he's made his will known that he not have a temple. Then he says, all right, you design it, your son can build it. Uh, why did Israel have kings? because the people of Israel insisted they should have a king and and Samuel comes to God and says you know they're insisting they have a king I feel like they're rejecting me and God says oh no Samuel they're not rejecting you they're rejecting me Hmm. Israel having a king God saw as the ultimate insult of rejecting him as king and then the next thing God says is yeah we'll give him one Hmm. and then God anoints you know through Samuel anoints the first king and chooses and then David and if you were to plopped into the middle of the story of Israel, you would think God's really into kings and really into temples. When the temple is built, his Shekinah glory shows up. He, so he doesn't sit back and pout. Once he has accommodated and he has met us where we are, he then says, All right, let's do this thing. And he partners with us. But for instance, when it comes to kings and temples, he partners with us with something that he has already revealed. It's something that is an insult to his character, mm. that is a rejection of his leadership. And yet he says, we'll make the best of this. Mm. And this becomes this narrative of the Old Testament, making the best of something that is less than ideal, always with the embedded promise that something better is coming. So that means that the external Torah, the Ten Commandments and the, and the other laws, is less than ideal. It's not the pinnacle of God's revelation because embedded in the prophets is one day he'll write the law in our hearts, his spirit will come, lead us from the inside out. We'll have a new heart, no longer a heart of stone, but a heart of flesh. And he'll put a new spirit in us and he'll put his spirit in us. Mm. All of this is promised to come. So even embedded within the old covenant is the admission of, hey, don't get too used to this. Mm. This is not God's ideal. This is God's compromise. Mm. It's And you'll see it's the story of what doesn't work, but then the Messiah will come.
0: So Bruxy for the cynic, listening in and going, wait a second, Bruxy, you're just reading all the rest of the stuff through Jesus because he rejects rejects violence for nonviolence, and now you're reading that back into the story. And your answer to that would be, yes (laughs) it's like
1: someone watching the sixth sense and saying wait you're going back and reading into the early parts of the movie now that you know how it ends and you're saying yes that's what you're supposed to do and and but we're not forced reading it in because it's promised throughout even if you didn't know the jesus bit yeah you would know embedded in the story god says kings israel's Request for a king is an insult to me and a rejection. It's rejection of me. That is high treason. That's absolute rebellion. Mm. You know that in the story. You don't have to wait till Jesus comes and then you see God go ahead and say, "But let's have kings anyway." Uh, I
0: had this amazing moment when I was 22 years old, and it's my first connection with Jewish peace groups. Yeah, and they were saying, "No, we're for peace," and I, I was like, "Oh, that's wonderful. What's the basis?" And they start quoting all the scriptures that. Jesus is quoting, I'm like, oh yeah, they're, they're yeah. using the same material. Okay, that yeah, Jesus it's, it's there. Fulfills, like, yeah, it's it's yes. it's actually all in there.
1: And what the Old Testament does, it points to its own inadequacy. I mean, what a humble revelation, mm. right? To say, you, I mean, the, the Hebrew faith, the Hebrew scriptures, and the Jewish religion is a is a very humble revelation in the sense that they there the writers of scripture are not putting themselves at the center of the story as as the great. It's the great nation that is showing you the way of holiness. It's about their failure. It's about them getting it wrong over and over again. And they're, they're, they're saying, look at our kings. Yeah, we really screwed up when we asked for those. Mm. Look at our temple. Yeah, can we tell you the story how we screwed up by asking for that and how mm. God was still kind and blessed us anyway? Wow. And that they're revealing that to the world. I think when we back up, back up. It, it comes back to the power of this initial decision God made to make creatures in his own image and his own likeness. Mm that makes us choice makers, mm-hmm. right? We, we cannot just be puppeteered through life and reflect the image of God, who himself is not a puppet. He is a choice maker. And if we're going to reflect his image and his likeness, we must be choice makers. And so he partners with his own image mm-hmm. in us. And when sin gets into the picture, we make a litany of, uh, of bad choices, but we are choice makers. And our choice making is a reflection of, of being made in the image of God and so even when it's a bad choice there's still something of god's image in that yeah and god then partners and he, he creates the future together in partnership with his own image reflected in creation mm. once that decision is made uh it's a, a fascinating ride from there on in through Scripture.
0: and it's it's fascinating that instead of the kids uh version where you edit out the blood mm. of jericho mm-hmm. um, which is kind of a popular version that some people just don't read mm-hmm. uh, those bits or a bit that actually affirms it and says yes And we should do the same, Mm. that what you're suggesting the Anabaptist tradition offers us is a way of engaging Scripture where God is still on the side of an oppressed people and has heard their cry, Mm. up against a a force that has the kind of military power and defense systems that there's no way that they can ever Mm. win, um, uh, that God will still act to... Um, be on the side of, of those who are in this weakness. Mm-hmm. Um, but we read back over the story and go, uh, the walls will come down. It is yeah. God it will bring the walls down. Mm. Our job is still just to be obedient, walk around the outside mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and blow the trumpets yeah, when necessary, yeah. but not to take up swords, yeah. knowing that right. our way of walking around is yeah. following Jesus, which means nonviolence. And so God yes. is still the God of the oppressed, of the disadvantaged, yeah. that hears the cries, but saves not through this kind of violence, but through the suffering love, yeah, redemptive... Yes.
1: And what is a current ongoing conversation within Christian theology is, then what do we do with those passages of the Old Testament where God himself commands violence? Mm -hmm. And what we can agree on is that however you wrestle through those, the new covenant is new. (laughs) And it changes everything. You say, well, it shouldn't change. It does. When God himself incarnates into human form and the image maker and the image bearer become one, that changes everything. And we shouldn't apologize for that. The new covenant change, it makes a whole new uh, reality. Yeah. And, and so how, now, however you explain the ethics of the old covenant and how God operated with us, that'll be a fascinating uh, theological conversation for the rest of our lives. Mm. But we should be able to agree on the fact that Jesus has changed the rules of engagement. Mm. And so I, I, I love conversations about now still the walls fell down, but still Israel, or Israel went in and slaughtered people. So mm-hmm. it seems to be God's command that they do this. What, what do we do with that? Great question. Let's have that conversation while we follow Jesus. But we do know, it's very clear what our ethics should be right now as we follow Jesus. Did Israel mishear God or was God compromising with them the way he compromised with the temple? He did command eventually how the temple should be made. He did did choose who the kings would be and who Samuel should anoint, the first king Saul and David. I mean, you see God's full engagement and you think, oh, this is God's idea. But it wasn't. It was God participating. What he said to us was a rebellious idea. And so... Is it possible that God, yes, that God did command because Israel was so bent on violence, he says, then I will at least lead it in a certain direction and redeem it. And, and so, mm. amazing theory. There's so many of them. And I, part, I would love to participate and be open to it. I'll be learning that for the rest of my life. But it's really clear how I'm to follow Jesus yeah. now. <laughs> and in fact, the more violent we see the old covenant, I think the more... Beautiful. We see that Jesus entered not already a religion that tended towards pacifism and tweaked it. Hmm. He entered uh, into, was born into a religious tradition and bloodline that had every reason to be violent. As they told the great stories of how their God had led them to conquer the land. And then a group of people who presently, when he came into them, had been conquered themselves. They had a double reason now to kind of get back their former glory mm-hmm. and to fight. And Jesus enters into a powder keg of people who had every reason to become the most violent people on the planet. And he teaches them the way of peace. Wow. And so I think, oh, I should be able to do that too. Wow.
0: So it it sounds like the answer to the question of whether the Bible was oppressive or liberating for you is yes <laughs> <laughs> yeah but there, there's something about um you, you don't really mind in your and this is one of the gifts of anabaptism is yeah. how practically minded anabaptists are yeah that, um, i joked this morning while preaching at the meeting house that um, those of us who find ourselves in the charismatic pentecostal space can be good at our shout and our anabaptist sisters and brothers are always good at their service mm. and maybe we can bring them together like yeah. maybe there's a way of um, that oh, not yeah. having to cancel each other out that
1: would be great
0: Yeah, I'll we need our, our show and our service to, and yeah. it, it, it also sounds that like that, that practical service bit means that you don't really mind people's workings of how they work their way through the Old Testament hmm, I right. just know the answer at the back of the book is the liberating love that we see incarnate in Jesus yes
1: <laughs> so it really if you have a group of people following Jesus and living like Jesus and worshipping Jesus and while they're doing that they are having Debates about their different understandings of how the Old Testament works. This is not a matter of figuring who's an Orthodox Christian and who is not. Mm. These are people following Jesus, having debates about something that is. It's like uh, there's certain kinds of theological debates that are not going to change how you wake up in the morning Mm. and how you get busy following Jesus. Uh, But that doesn't make them useless. I think they're like mental, spiritual rigorous theological workouts to me those kind of debates are wonderful they're like going to the gym it's like exercise but when you're done an hour of exercise at the gym like i ever go to the gym but what i hear is in theory is that if when you're done an hour of exercise at the gym you haven't accomplished anything in the world around you you have not served anyone's needs you've not helped you've not used your strength to help someone move their goods you have not helped someone but if you take your fitness that you've achieved by going to the gym regularly and you apply that to then helping lift the things other people can't lift and doing the things other people can't do, having the stamina to serve other people, then going to the gym is a really good thing. Mm. But if it's a be-all, end-all, in and of itself, it's an absolute waste of time. So for the Christian, I see some of these theological discussions as like mental workouts. Let's go to the gym. Let's have them. But at the end of the day now, how are we going to go and serve people around us with the strength that we have?
0: Well, and I've heard you talk about the Bible in terms of can be a bit like buying fitness magazines and uh, <laughs> a protein supplement, and um, yeah. uh, reading what kind of working out, what kind of workouts you're going to do, yeah. taking the protein supplement. Yes, um, uh, like, if
1: you're just reading the Bible, yeah, yeah, and,
0: and, and never like putting Jesus's Not... example and teachings into action.
1: Absolutely, wow. it's um, in some in some sense, learning learning anything and including learning scripture is is like fueling your spirit the way we intake calories to fuel our body Mm. now i I live in a part of the planet where calories usually uh, connotate something negative we Mm. sell product by promising fewer calories Mm. we we have laws in our country that say that on menus it has to say how many calories something is so that people don't get too many and they're more mindful of how many they're taking into their body um so calories are something we try and reduce. When, and that makes us think about a calorie as a negative thing. But a calorie is a unit of fuel. Mm. It's a unit of energy. And and we need them. Mm. I mean, but but here's the great lesson is that if you live at a place in a time where you are intaking more calories than you are burning off in the service of others in this context, talking about living the love life of Jesus, then you just get fat. So you're right. You get in a position where these units of fuel, which are supposed to be beautiful things, become the enemy because they are making you sick and mm. overweight and lethargic. That's, I think that's very true for all Bible learning, all theological discussion, yeah. is that um, it, we need the calories. We need them, but if we're not going and applying, then these are the very things, these are the discussions actually that are just increasing our hypocrisy quotient. Whoa. You know? Wow, that's
0: powerful. Right? Yeah. Really, the
1: hypocrisy, the hypocrisy gap is the difference between what we know and what we do. Huh. And, and if I know this much, and I only live this much, the secret is not to have more discussions, listen to more podcasts, read more books, and then I'm just increasing the hypocrisy gap. I'm, wow. And so so the, the the answer to that is, well, I need to learn less, learn less than that. It's actually, no, you just got to apply. Always be listening with an ear for application. Yeah. Every sermon and every discussion, say, well, okay, what's the so what for me? And sometimes preachers will do that for you well, and sometimes podcasts and books will wrap it up neatly and say, therefore and um go and apply it in this way but if they don't that's okay our our job as a listener should always be to be at listening with the, with the so what i want to i want to take this away and if i have to spend time with jesus after a sermon or listening to a podcast or reading a book and say how can you apply this to my life because no mm. no one podcast presenter or sermonator or author can do the work for everyone to give you and spoon feed you the application Mm. Uh, there may be as many applications out there as there are people in many yeah. situations of life. So spend time with Jesus afterwards and say, I'm going to wrestle this to the ground to say, how can I live this out and close my hypocrisy gap?
0: And as you're saying that, Broxy, I'm thinking of, like, we were talking early memory verses that mm-hmm, when mm-hmm. we became Christians. One of the early ones for me was Second um, Timothy 3, mm-hmm. 16 and 17. Yeah, um, uh, all scripture, awesome. the God-inspired type or... Um, uh, all scripture is inspired, yeah, and uh, is useful. And we forget the word "useful" there. Like it, yeah. it's, we focus on the inspired, and then we're like it's useful, but never get to what it's useful for. Yeah, and, and the closing thing is um, uh, about uh, training in righteousness, which sounds yeah. uh, personal pietism, mm. but the word there can also be healing justice. Like mm. it's so. All scripture is for us to become. Useful, yes. this energy yeah. for being people of a healing justice yeah. and going to do um, the, the good works of becoming a people of healing justice. So that
1: the person of God can be thoroughly equipped
0: for every yeah, good, work. good work not yep.
1: thoroughly equipped for every theological debate not Ooh. thoroughly equipped for every opportunity to hunt heretics not thoroughly <laughs> equipped for <laughs> all of these may have secondary applications but that's not the emphasis of scripture itself it better lead to you waking up in the morning and living a different life and serving others <laughs> or you have not using scripture properly
0: it's another podcast but what nonviolent hunting of heretics might look like yeah, is a, yeah, is a yeah, conversation. Could, yeah. um uh I mean, you've touched on this, but if, if you were to give a gift from your own experience um, to help people read the Bible in ways that do turn their own lives and our world upside down, mm. um, is there anything you'd want to name explicitly before you show us what that looks like in practice and open up a passage for us? Mm.
1: Um, it seems to me... That in the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus works through his six antitheses, mm-hmm. these are the six times that Jesus says, you have heard it said, but I tell you. Mm-hmm. Back and forth. You have heard it said, but I tell you. Some people argued, well, he's he's, he's, um, he's helping them read scripture properly and not put their tradition ahead of scripture. But for some of them, he just quotes scripture <laughs> and says, you've heard this in scripture. And I'm telling you something different. And it's amazing the hoops that some Christians will jump through to say, he's not he's not setting himself as like authority over scripture. <laughs> or he's not like, not, he would never contradict anything that the Bible said at any point because they'll say, well, actually, no, it, it's possible that if the Old Testament contains the compromise, the accommodation that it shows us, mm-hmm. right? That, that there are certain commands of God to go and anoint this person, etc., that we've already been told even before. We have to wait till Jesus comes. We've been told before that this is not God's heart.
0: Well, we're going to continue this conversation next week on the Inverse Podcast. And in the meantime, if you want to check out Jared's Instagram, you'll be able to keep up to date with where he is at currently while he is in Ireland. And check out his speaking dates. But we will be back at you in a week's time. So see you soon.